And welcome back to another episode of The Discussion Phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love. To talk about the games we love. I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm Brady. And on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down an epic 24-hour marathon, our weekend of gaming that we've just had. We'll also be discussing play interaction. What's too little? What's too much? Where's the happy medium? And then we'll be closing things off with a mechanic highlight. So as always, stick around. And buckle up. Matthew, I've got to breathe. We just had a huge, epic weekend of gaming that ended with a banger, to say the least. And it's we've, got everyone heated, including myself. We barely had time to sleep. I know. I, I left I left your house uh, about... Almost three in the morning. <laughs> three in the morning. Went home, slept till about 11, got up, and then Brady's like, Matthew, we're getting together at one, and we're going to record. Uh, today's Memorial Day. Uh, we're recording this. Our podcast is going to go out tomorrow. Uh, so we just wanted to just take a moment and just say um, for all the the families who have uh, lost loved ones and family members that have served in the military and giving honor to all those the many, many years before who have um, died and lost their lives. I remember uh, several years ago, actually, on Memorial Day, about three or four years ago, I had a chance to actually be in uh, Normandy um, oh, wow. on the beach um, on on Memorial Day. Um, and it was a really, really cool experience. Um being was it on, like an event or was it just no so beach? i was with the scholars program and that was our um after senior year of our uh, senior year of college uh me and the other scholars uh they took us to a trip to europe it was our year's trip i think i've talked about it before uh but the whole focus was remembrance mm-hmm. um being thankful and how you got to where you were um and it all culminated on being in normandy um uh, and more than just the beach there was uh some memorial cemeteries there for american soldiers who had lost their lives there uh, and it just the scope of the the cemetery and the memorial sites uh, was just um, it was kind of life changing type thing because you you don't really realize when you're in because I think there was a there was a, a quote I think maybe it was Stalin but he said you know a, a million deaths is a statistics you know one death is a tragedy you know there can get to a point where there's so much scope of loss of life to where it just isn't comprehensible right you just yeah. can't even process that. But when you're actually there on the beach and you're at these memorial sites and you see these rows after rows of these uh, gravestones, uh, tombstones that are well kept, and you're just walking through it and you're seeing the names and the states of where these men were from, uh, it, it, it hits a little bit different. Um, so we just wanted to give uh, just honor and remembrance to that before we get started off. But yeah, uh, we had an epic weekend of gaming. We, our original plans were we were going to have a 24-hour marathon because 24, yeah, this, 24 this hours be, straight. This is our first ever clickbait here. Yeah, 24-hour straight marathon. Because <laughs> in our minds, we always are going to get more games than we played than we actually end up doing on our cabin trip that we had last year. We thought, man, we're going to get so many games played, and we just brought so many games, and we didn't get nearly yeah. as much played. So we're going to take a long time. Yeah, we were eating. We were at a cabin. The wives were there. We were just enjoying our time. So it wasn't as the big a focus, but we're going to have a 24-hour straight marathon. Uh, but then it was just going to be four of us, and then old man Jacob, what is he, 27, 28, something yeah. like that. I think he says, guys, I don't think I can go all night. So we were going to start uh, in the evening, go through all through night through the next day and end in the next evening. He's like, guys, I'm going to have to tap out and sleep. Then it's just going to be three of us, myself, David, and Brady. And Brady's like, well, if it's three of us, not worth. y'all aren't good enough, it's not worth it. So it it turned into a 
24 hour marathon sp- spread over three days. Yeah. Uh, so we started on a Friday, which uh, honestly is probably a little more enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, not as much to brag about, not as much. To, I still want, well, when John gets back, we get some young blood in the group. Yeah. Uh, I think we can yeah, actually John pull off a 24 hour nonstop marathon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is going to be a, a test of our physical ability, but we started on a Friday night. Uh, so we just wanted to kind of review, get kind of a rundown of some games. We got a pretty good variety of games, some games we hadn't played as much, some lighter games to kind of mix in there as well. Uh, so we started off Friday and we got started off with Terraforming Mars, uh, the big box uh, collector's edition and stuff. I finally got mine in. Um, a week after Jacob got his, um, it's a beautiful game. You got the individual heavy. Yeah. So Jacob didn't magic. get the metal resources. He didn't no get the domes, domes um, oh. clear, clear domes. Uh, but when I Those got this, domes. I, every single resource had was in an individual little tiny baggie, but the baggie's so small, I can't use it for anything else. And I'm just like, who <laughs> drugs, the- man. You got, this is, this is how you start your drug career. Right Brady. Here. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I was like, I don't know if a machine does this. I feel bad for the person who did this because my hands were dry after unbagging a hundred plus of these little baggies. Uh, But the metal resources were really, were really nice. Um, I didn't know how they were going to come out. I was like, man, are these going to be those metal resources that have kind of like a a spray on for the metallic coat and they get chipped kind of like the scythe tokens do. They're solid, right? They're they're pretty, they might not be all the way, but they're pretty solid and they got a matte finish to them and the corners are rounded off. Mm, so um, you're not poking yourself. Yeah, you and the metal domes. Uh, the metal, the metal. Honestly, the metal domes. I, they're I not metal like. Domes, they're clear domes. They're clear. Sorry, the clear <laughs> acrylic domes. They're nice, but I would, I would be fine either way. But obviously, I had to have them. Yeah. Uh, for cool. that, so we got started off with terraforming Mars five players. Um, with that, and then we moved in some lighter affair because that did take a little bit longer. Because Friday we didn't, we got started a little bit later, didn't we? Yes. Um, so we won't, we probably won't go into all of this. Let me just read off what I've got. So we've got Terraforming Mars. I got Watergate, Blue Lagoon, Quacks of Quiddlingburg, Quest for El Dorado, Quest for El Dorado, Azul, Watergate, again, Vast, The Crystal Caverns, Barrage, Merchant's Cove. Which Most of those were on Saturday, I think. Yeah. yeah. Blood Rage, Cryptid, Inish, Hansa Teutonica, and I got in Lord of the Rings confrontation with David. So yep. That's yep. All so that was a comp. So what was that? You had, um, I, you got a couple two player games in uh, some of those that you just mentioned while the other of us were getting dinner or eating or doing yeah, something yeah. else. Um, and so we, um, I'd say about 11 or so actual full games with everybody included. So I don't know how that breaks, but that, so that's about two hours ish a game. Yeah. So why don't we pick, uh, maybe a couple of these each, um, to kind of talk about and then we'll kind of maybe talk about some other ones when we get into our main topic about player interaction. Yeah. Uh, so one that I'm review, uh, re-editing, uh, taking back my original statements on was Hansa Teutonica. Um, <laughs> Matthew hated f- this game at when, first. That first play uh, we had, it was myself, David, Stephen, and Brady. And I, I was miserable. I was like, this is just absolutely stupid. And I think the problem was, you know, I didn't... I hadn't read the issue wasn't the rules, but like I hadn't like got a good sense for like how this game was played as far as the interaction. I thought this was a lot more of a we are fighting tooth and nail for these routes. And so when we started the game, I put my pieces down, 
David replaced it with some of his. And I was like, well, you know what, David? I'm going to do the same thing back to you. And so we sent several turns back yeah. and forth at the beginning of the game, just replacing just each other's pieces. Ultimate slap fight. Yeah. Just back and it forth. was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you have, have you ever well, seen that YouTube video for like that ad where someone says something to this guy's little girl and he goes and slaps him? Oh, yeah. And yeah. the guy's like, Bob, why'd you hit him? And he hits the he next guy. Slaps everybody. Yeah, yeah. slaps everybody. That so that's essentially what David and I were doing. And then you and Steven were just kind of moving around, just getting your engines going. Uh, but it's not that kind of game. You got to know. Continues to dominate that game. Yeah. However. Yeah, but my enjoyment for the second game went from about five out of hundred for my first one to about a eighty-five to a ninety. So like my oh, my I'm enjoyment glad. of it vastly improved. Um, I think it's it is it is a good game. It's not one I necessarily want to play all the time, but like I'm not going to say no. Like before, I was like, Ugh, I don't know <laughs> anything about Hansa, but I'm not going to say no to it now. Um, and so it's just it was a different perspective on where to place and what to give up and knowing when to not fight for every route. Uh, so that was the first one that I, I really enjoyed yeah. and was a highlight. So, uh, a smaller one that I had been wanting to play for a while and that I think is a really good just mental exercise. Like this one, I, f I literally feel like I'm exercising my brain when I play Cryptid because yeah. I am staring at that board. I am running through so many like problems of like, Oh, you know, and, and if you don't know what Cryptid is, it's essentially like a, a very hexagonal board similar to something like um, Terra Mystica, um, except uh, they, they've done all the math in the game and there's one spot on the board where this Cryptid could be hiding yeah. and everyone at the table has one clue um, about where it can or cannot be. Um, and so when you put all those clues together, it essentially exactly one. spits out one tile on yeah. the board. And, and so, so there's different terrain types. There's like desert, there's water, there's mountains, grass, swamp. Uh, yeah. There's some different there's structures. Like buildings. Yeah. yeah. And so your clue may be it is not on a mountain or a forest space. And then Brady's clue may be it's not within three spaces of a green mm -hmm. structure. And so people are putting, players are putting pieces out on the board that say like, yes, it can be in this space. No, it could not be in this space according to my clue. And so you're looking at everybody's pieces and just racking your brain trying to figure yeah. out what their clue is. I mean, it's really simple because a square cube means it cannot be there. A a disc from that player says, based on my clue, it could be there. Now that isn't necessarily true for everyone, but at yeah. least for that one player. And so you're constantly trying to, remember what one person's clue is that you think you figured out. But then when you start thinking about someone else's clue and trying to figure it out, it starts falling away. Maybe, I mean, we playing at five. That's the most it plays. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little more challenging the more players you have. Cause if you're just playing with two or three people, there's very few clues you have to figure out. Right. Yeah. Um, does it give you multiple clues? Mm -mm. Huh? Or are they just better clues? Cause you would just have like less information. I don't know. Um, no, but the, I, I think like... the clues would exclude or in, exclude more area. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I feel counts. like um, like non gamers who just enjoy puzzles or something like Sudoku or something would like really yeah. enjoy. There's an easier mode and then a hard mode. Easier mode, they're just standard clues like not on a or it's like it's on a mountain or a forest. Yeah. But the the harder version is where all those standard clues can also have an inverse. So mm -hmm. instead of being a mountain or forest, it's not on a mountain or forest, and so. It, it just, you have to think two different ways about every clue. Um, but I love it because it's like the one game where like, I hope more time passes between my turn. Like, yeah, I, I don't want like, I need more time to think about this. I yeah. was feeling the same thing. And you're constantly engaged and glued at this board. And like my mind never stopped having like yeah. a stream of consciousness. Yeah, so I, like I, it got to my turn and I panicked so hard that I like made an official guess on one that didn't fit my clue. <laughs> And I was like, all right, is it here? And they're like, well, you got to put one first. And I'm like, 
Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the rules may say that if you want to, you can play with paper and take notes. Um, that definitely would be a suggestion for people down. who yeah, are just getting storing. Hold all of that. In I your think brain. the hardest yeah. part is holding because yeah. you you because I have to learn yours, but then you have to put so much mental energy into figuring someone else's clue out. Yeah. That you completely forget the other person. Yeah. You get back and you're like. Dang it, what was their clue again? Yeah, or you have someone's clue completely figured out. Man, I know it. I'm not worried about it anymore. And then they place either a, yeah, a truth play. or an incorrect cube that just, whoa, all that, yeah, all all that work that was gone. Um, yeah. But it it's just, I love I, I love games that have that gears turning puzzle nature to it. Not like a, we're doing Sudoku puzzle, but I've mentioned a lot, like Five Tribes, that puzzly nature of how am I going to move these pieces on this Moncala um mechanic but yeah i think cryptid is fantastic our game did go a little i, I didn't think it longer usually a game of cryptid can last 20 minutes or so our game maybe went about 45 minutes um just because there was just so much kind of back and forth trying to figure out everyone's clues and we were playing a little bit on the harder but still for 45 minutes it still felt like it went by really fast and you're 100 percent engaged the entire time there's no downtime yeah. So I think it's it's fantastic, and obviously we're not going to play it all the time. But having that for like a little breakup, what you're doing, and no one gets upset if they lose, like because everyone yeah. is trying and to figure it out. And you kind of like you know, it's almost like a a relief once you know the answer. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, because like, you are competitive. Like, oh, wow. It's the first yeah. person to figure it out wins. And yeah. I have played a game where someone just really early on in the game is like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it and guess, and they got it. Um, but that rarely ever happens. Yeah. And it's it's one that like you seem to be pretty good at because I've I played with you a couple of times, but um, it's a game I want to be better at, and that yeah. I want to. I just feel like it's good. And, and you get stressed because like, <laughs> am I stupid? <laughs> it's like, yeah. what am I missing? Because yeah. one person was like, "Man, I got Brady's clue down," and you're like, "You have Brady's clue. Yeah, I yeah. cannot figure it out for the life." I know. Of me. And the worst is when somebody go, "Oh, you haven't figured out Stevens. His is easy." You know? Yeah, and that's what you like, were doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but cryptid is a great. Yeah, I'd always recommend cryptid uh, to anyone else. What you got next? Uh, Another one. I had this game sitting on my shelf. I got, I got from, I got this game Christmas of 2019. Uh, So I've had it sitting on my shelf for a year and a half, uh, with also the miniature expansions, and that's Vast the Crystal Caverns. Um, I've got, I've played uh, Vast uh, the Mysterious Manor. It's a little more structured. You're on a board, pieces go on it, but uh, Vast Crystal Cavern was really the first. Uh, type of asymmetrical game that really got leader games on the board. Um, Kyle Farron, uh, still the artist there, there on the board. On the board, and uh, Patrick Leader was the main designer on it. Cole Worley hadn't joined Leader Games yet as the head designer or kind of director for games yet. Um, but this was kind of the breaking point where like people were like, "Wow, this is really, really something to pay attention to," uh, because the general premise of Vast is you got four to five different factions that you have. You have a knight. Uh, the knight's goal is to defeat the the dragon. You have a dragon. Its goal is to get out of the cave. You have goblins. The goblin's goal is to defeat the knight. You have a cave. The cave is goal is to collapse the cave and everyone gets stuck in. There is a thief, it's, which is kind of reminiscent of the vagabond uh, type faction for Root. But what makes this a little bit different from Root and something I don't I don't think I am gonna like it more than Root. But it's a little bit different because in Root. It's even it's even more asymmetric. Than it's root. even more asymmetric because in root, everyone has some general ways of scoring points, and you know you can interact with any other faction you want. But in vast, the way we are directing our attention is cyclical. Because uh, I was focused after the knight, the knight was That's focused true. after the dragon. So it's like a rock paper. And the dragon was focused after eating the goblins to help make it a little more powerful. So it's not like everyone's ganging up. Like we all had like a role in the food chain to feed. Yeah. But what makes it good more than just being a circle is that the cave. 
is trying to prolong the game a little bit so he can collapse the cave. So at different points, Jacob was playing the cave. He would manipulate the cave to help David, who's playing the knight. Then other times he would manipulate it to maybe help the goblins because he wanted the goblins to complete a little bit more. So the cave is actually trying to keep all the other three players balanced in it. So it's really, it's a different focus of objective uh, because there's no victory point scoring. You just, the goblins is you to win. You just have to kill the knight and that's it. Um, And so it's just a really interesting way of, focusing your attention and you're all in the kind of the food chain. So what was your thoughts? I you know you played the dragon and you, you said that the dragon didn't feel as thematic. I kind of maybe agree with it, but you also, when David was playing the night, he had a little trouble leveling it up. And so he wasn't ever yeah. really attacking you. So you weren't worried about that. And you know, you, you so you said that it was cyclical, um, but the dragon isn't, it kind of breaks right there. Cause the dragon is just Top trying of the food to chain, yeah. wake up and escape. And so part of waking up is eating the goblins, but you don't necessarily have to, to wake up. And so, um, so yeah, I am not necessarily trying to fight anyone or kill anyone. I'm just trying to wake up. And that is like accomplishing a couple of different little goals then you wake up, then you kind of move around the board to certain spaces and escape. And so, yeah, to me, the dragon, I mean, it, it could have been just about anything trying to leave the cave and um, it didn't necessarily feel like a dragon. Where yeah. like with the knight, he was like leveling up. It almost looked like a little mini RPG thing he mm-hmm. had going on over there. Yeah, and the goblins, it's all about uh, growing your clans and uh, getting different monster cards. Um, but yeah. everyone seems to play pretty differently. I definitely want to get it. I feel like it's the type of game to where you need to play again with the same people playing the same factions. Uh, and the repeat plays will definitely have more of the strategy coming out from it. Um, I mean, would would you be willing to play it again, though? <sighs> That's a tough question. Because I, I tell you all the time, if we don't like a game and we're not going to get it played, I'm okay selling it. He does have the Mansions one. He does have the Mysterious Manor. Um, yeah, because we, we played that, too. So I had... I, Oh, you did you play the Mysterious Manor? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I didn't know that you had played that with us. I didn't, I don't know, I can't even remember which character I played, but I've, you know, essentially played it twice, and I don't know that I have a, a hankering to play Hank- it again. Well, that's that's fine. I, I, thankfully, I just finally got it played, and so, yeah, I say all the time, if we don't like a game, we can always sell it, right? Um, I mean, the game's not going to do any good if we don't get it played, so that's not going to hurt my feelings at all. Uh, another game, which I backed over like two years ago, and we finally got it in and finally got it to the table, uh, was Merchant's Cove, because it just, within the past couple of weeks, finally I was, came in. I kept getting this confused with Merchants of the Dark Road. Yeah, which is another is game that David not backed. Not the same thing. Not the same, not okay. the same thing. Um, because this was, you know, the thing about Kickstarter is that your taste and games can change in two years. And like what you thought was like, man, this game is could be really nifty. Yeah. We play That's a the lot. magic of Kickstarter. Yeah. And, but two, so like two years ago, I wasn't as heavy into a lot of these Euro type games or even asymmetric games, but maybe had a little more depth. So version Cove, the, the base premise is it that every asymmetric faction and they are very kind of basic. Um, every faction has a very basic kind of like little mechanic and that's unique to the faction. So there's a dice manipulation faction called the the Fort the Blacksmith. There is like a little mini potion explosion type little mini game for the alchemist. Um yeah. there I had is like a, a innkeeper. Sort of a little yeah, like a diner dash type of innkeeper yeah, thing. For that. Um so there's a there's a there's the Oracle who's essentially a roll and write type character. There's a dragon rancher who's kind of like these little dungeon pet type little yeah. mechanic thing. But you're all trying to sell yeah, so you, you make products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your asymmetric faction is the way you make products. And then the 
the overall game is selling those products to yeah. people. Because um, there's essentially, there's a bunch of little boats and there's different colored meeples on these boats. And the value of your product is that product's color multiplied by the matching color people in the ship. So as you go through the round, we're going to be adding more people to the ship. And so you draw, draw a meeple from the bag, you put it on the ship, but you choose what ship because maybe you want your large products to be red and you want a lot of red people on that boat. So there's a little bit of plater plater interaction where you're trying to manipulate that. Um, I think we had fun with it. It's it's the thing is, and I think Alex from Board Game Co. Uh, mentioned this in a review, and it's very apt uh, description. Is that um, it's just light enough to where you would never want to play the same faction back to back. I think part of the replayability will be playing different factions each time. Um, yeah, but I don't Which know how long that will last. It means yeah, because it means you like every time you open it up, you're essentially taking probably like a. Well, well, the thing is, a lot of the factions have several of their actions that are the same. Like, every faction has a little tableau, buying a card market, adding to a tableau. Those actions are going to be similar. Every faction has build a large product, a small product. That it's, I think I think once you play it once, learning the other factions would be pretty quick. Um, but it's, I think the length of how long this game may last in a collection is whether or not we just want to get back and play those other factions i still think the factions other than the small little mechanics do this essentially they, they all factions do the same thing they just have a little weight diff, yeah. doing it differently and it's definitely cute and probably same artists who did all the architects yeah, west kingdom saga stuff man on but the game is like probably one of the most overproduced games i've ever i've ever yeah, played and jacob asked me would i have gotten the game or would i have been willing to keep the game if it didn't have anywhere near the production quality no, I asked that. You do? Did you ask that? I and, asked I, that. and I said probably not, no. uh, because I mean those player boards are fantastic. A recess, the game board components. I mean, it is as produced as it could possibly be. And I think maybe it's compensating a little bit. Uh, now, I'm not gonna say absolutely. it's a bad game. It's just not a game that's gonna hold our interest. Yeah, but designers take note. If your game looks good, you'll get sales. We're definitely more likely to to play it. All right. So one one big boy I had before we kind of move on was. Um, Barrage. We yeah. played Barrage, which is definitely... Been a while since we last played it. Yeah, probably over a year. Um, and it's definitely on the heavier scale for us. There's like a few different, like, really heavy games, really? like over a few point oh. So for, it's like, for me, I don't feel it as heavy as much as it's just dreary. And I think the dreariness adds to the perception of being heavy. Because I just... You're constantly, like Jacob said, you're like constantly feeling different beat, beat like down. going on. Like, I, I mean, I would definitely put it in the same category as, like, uh, City on the Big Shoulders, Barrage... Terra Mystica. I don't know. I, I, I put those kind of all in the same. Okay. Way. Yeah. Like, uh, like they're just a step above like some of the fisters or maybe Maracaibo's in the same area. But anyway, so this is a, this is a damn good game. Get it. Yeah. If I had a drum, about. I would hit it for you. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, it's about, um, you're building dams. I guess you're, you're power companies or something. Yeah, yeah. You're building dams and trying to like convert, power but it's essentially like a a a hefty worker placement game um and it's slightly cutthroat um or slightly yeah i mean it's not well after we we got done playing inish i nothing is as cutthroat as that to me at this point um but you can essentially build dams over other people's dams so that you know when the rain comes down it stops at your dam first or whatever yeah because the central premise is there are three or four rivers flowing and they flow through three different sections, the mountains, the midlands, and then the lowlands. And at each one of those three levels, you can build a dam and you can collect the water, produce energy, energy scores you points. However, if someone builds a dam right above yours, 
they cut you off from water most well, not likely. Entirely. Not entirely. Yeah. You can do it, some other stuff it to can still manipulate overflow it. Overflow. And and we will say it makes it one, harder. The one person who I would say got caught out, cut off more than anyone in that game was Jacob, who ended up going on to win the game. Yeah, so I think that was in part maybe from I didn't the expansion get cut off at all. But yeah, and I think well, I got in in second, but it was actually a really tight game. Like I think I won or I got in second by. Yeah. Like only one or two points. I think the real cool thing that I wish I saw other games do from it is how it handles using resources. Because everyone yes. starts with a set amount of of a two different working resources. I don't even know we what they're no supposed. Idea what they, what are. they are. <laughs> Let's just say they're a, they're a mining like and a building. Yeah, concrete yeah, and, and a mining. More, yeah. Something, I don't know. They're little weird little shapes. I Honestly, I don't even know what they are. You'd have to look in the rule book. But they're two different resources. In addition to money, money is spent. But what happens when you use these resources, you put them into a, a wheel and you spin the wheel. But they're locked in that wheel until it comes all the way back to the top and they're released. Yeah. And how you move the wheel is one, by doing more actions, which each time you do an action, you lock in your action, little selector in the resources, move the wheel. Or there's work replacement spots on the main game board are like mechanic stuff, which moves your will one, two or three spaces based on how much money or resources, money or workers you spend. And so it's really, it's because sometimes if you don't pay attention to how well your, your economy is moving the wheel, you can literally be stuck yeah. with nothing to do because you haven't managed able to that. move that wheel effectively is the game, I think. And is that what you mean when you say it's dreary or do you mean it's dreary thematically? Uh, thematically and the, some of the cutting off stuff, I just, nothing, it just, it feels like we're just in a very sad world and sad things are okay. happening. So do you say that like it's a bad thing or like it's a good well, thing? Well, it, it, so the mechanics, nothing about the mechanics are dreary. It's just the, the setting. I just feel like we're just the trying to survive. Very, like the artwork is very dreary. Yeah. Looking. And I feel like you're just trying but to I would survive. Say it looks cool. Yeah. I think we're trying to survive versus trying to thrive. But like trying to get that wheel to move. That's um, good. Yeah. It, it is so tough to yeah. get it to move. Like you have to throw and, and your resources really are locked in. And this is not a resource heavy game. You have to fight for every yeah. little resource. You can you get. get some extra resources by some actions or some by completing some bonus contracts, but it's, but it's very little. Yeah, it's very little. And, and so, even those will get trapped in your wheel. Yeah. And so really to, to get more, you just have to move, get that wheel moving and, and kind of get them yeah. rotating through there. There may be some other games that do something like this, but I don't know any off the top of my head. Um, but one thing from Barrage, because I don't know that anything else is super kind of revolutionary. I mean, you got standard worker placement actions you do have some interesting way that the water flows and you can manipulate it but that wheel i think is something i'd really like to see in another type of game the same way with uh, abomination era frankenstein how it does its resource degradation mechanic like the longer you hold on to your resources without using them they become less valuable yeah. i think is genius um but that's another setting that's just really <laughs> dreary and uh and uh depressing um, yeah, I would the, say, lastly, we got to play Azul, which is definitely nothing new if you're listening well, this to this is podcast. The, yeah, I mean, this um, is a super popular game. Yeah, super popular game. I had only played it like once or maybe twice before, um, and it's a good little puzzle. Yeah. I, I, I almost feel the same way as Cryptid, where I feel like a lot of new people who love things like crossword puzzles and Sudoku would like Azul. Azul. Yeah, first. Azul is a, a lot lighter than Cryptid. This yeah. is actually the first time I've actually played it with like other gamers uh, because most of the time I'm playing with family, mom, dad, whoever. Yeah. It's very light stuff. They can they can conceptualize the puzzles. You're trying to get matching tiles and make rows or columns out of it. But this is the first time we played a competitive and the drafting aspect of it was a lot more tight and cutthroat 
Because you're looking at yeah. your opponents, what I they never can and can't take. To get, um, like I don't necessarily feel like I really strategize towards drafting the tiles, but I also, I don't think I, I, I just happen to just not happened, get yeah. punished very hard. Um, yeah, but maybe if I kind of noticed it coming back around to me with like a ton of tiles, I, I would have had to put in a little more effort, but I just yeah. didn't have to. It, yeah, it plays quick though, but it's still not a game. I'm like, man, can we? We haven't played Azul in a while. Can we really get that to the table? Yeah, I'd ch- I would for pick, a mental I'd, exercise. I'd pick Cryptid over cryptid, that. Yeah. Or if you're wanting a more gamery version, of that I still want to. I still love Five Tribes. If you want more of a game, because I feel Cryptid. It, even though it is a game, it's more like an act, mental exercise activity mm-hmm. that we're kind of competing, but it's not like super like an actual board game where like Five Tribes would be. Um, but yeah, so that was our rundown of our epic 24 hour uh, game mar- marathon spread over three yeah. days. And we also we played uh, Inish last night. I think was it our last game? Uh, no, it was our second to last game. Second our last, last game was Hansa. Game. Yeah, yeah. So Inish almost tore all of our souls in half. Uh, last night so we'll we'll kind of and i say that jokingly but um we will get kind of get into that it kind of brings us into our main topic which is player interaction and so um what we're going to do is we've kind of titled this uh goldilocks games and so me and matt are going to kind of go back and forth and talk about like what to you and this varies with everybody obviously from our game last night um what is your like ideal um, game when it comes to player interaction. What is, what is that Goldilocks game for you look like? So, Matthew, do you have any thoughts starting out? I was kind of thinking of like a scale between like 1 and 10, so you can kind of put games along that scale. Yeah. So normally when we do and 1 then, to 10, 10 is perfect, 1 is bad, but this is like 10 is like the most kind of player interaction almost too far to the right. 1 is almost no player interaction too yeah. far to the left. So that's yeah. kind of how we're looking at this scale. Um, and so for me, I love player interaction that is one meaningful and one that I can interact with when someone is interacting with me. Um, some, some games that I love, um, but they have some artificial play interaction in it just because they want to make it more interacting, but it doesn't, it's not meaningful and you can't really react to it. It's stuff like, uh, with terraforming Mars, a lot of their big events, like these asteroids and these comets and these, um, yes. helos downs or whatever they're one we, called. Yeah. You get a lot of, you get, you get terraforming rating, you get to move the parameters, but then oh, you get some resources you get to destroy and then they just stuff. had in there. Yeah. Remove six to eight plants from somebody, um, which can be devastating. If devastating. you get hit by multiple, especially if things. you just spend uh, a lot of resources, but it's, you have to question why. Yeah. Like, you're hurting one person that just helps everybody else, but there's no, that person can respond to it. It's just thrown in there just so they can have some extra player. Some people love that, but it, it, it always it just, hurts. It, it, in terraforming Mars, it feels so like the game just overall feels so scientific yeah, and so calculated that the, yeah, like the random, especially when it's, I a mean, lot, you if can't it's say like it one is, or two, that would be fine. Yeah. Some of them it's like destroy Eight plants, yeah. which is and I mean, significant. it is kind of thematic. It's a comet. Asteroid comes down, blows everything up. But the thing is, like Destroy the person, the person who does it doesn't get anything from destroying your destroying your plants. It all it ever does is just hurt. It never helps even the yeah. person who's doing it. Now there are other the cards where like I can take a micro from someone else. It hurts them a little bit, but then it helps me. And that um, doesn't feel nearly as bad. No, because there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason. There's a purpose uh, behind it. Um, so like, so some games that are just very low on player interaction, 
Um, even though there's some in it, stuff like Wingspan is very, very low on player interaction. Um, there's a Euro game that I really like, Cooper Island, um, very low on player interaction yeah. as well. I was thinking of like my number one or like number one to two would probably be something like Dominion without like caveat without any of the attack cards. So like if you were having to play a game of Dominion with no attack cards, that is essentially a solo yeah game. and then all of us there's these multiplayer uh, solitaires which is like as a zero one on the scale uh a game i love um which is almost kind of like my adjacent to dice throne for like just really quick fun mechanic type game that's in empires of the uh, imperial settlers empires of the north it is there's worker placement but where other people go for worker placement does not affect where you go yeah. Uh, at all. And it's essentially a multiplayer solitaire. I still love it. Enjoy it. Want to get all the expansions for it. I just uh, traded Dice Forge uh, with with uh, Jacob. So I have it. It's still in the group. But maybe if I have it now, we'll play it more. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but and so I would say um, for me getting into it, like um, I don't enjoy uh, Empires of the North. Pro- honestly, maybe even like less so because of player in action, more so because of just how the game works. Um, but for me, I want to say that like m- where I would land on this is a five, like my ideal game would be a five or a four. On a scale of one to 10? On a scale of one to 10. See, I think and so. Yeah, like mine would perfectly be- perfectly balanced or slightly less interactive. Mine, I think would probably be closer to a six or a seven. Uh, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, Root, Blood Rage, a game that I love uh, and that uh, Jacob and some others have gotten more on board with is Terror Mystica. Um, because that game is all about um, being just close enough, just close players. enough. So it's not direct; it's like indirect player interaction. Because so your what, ability what, to grow so and curious, trade. Where would you put Terra Mystica? I would probably put that around a six or a seven. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's to me. That's like a three or a four on what I consider like heavy player interaction. Terra Mystica. Yeah. Oh. Because no one is really taking anything from you. The only thing that they might do is get to a spot you wanted to. Oh, sorry. First. When you okay, never mind. Then I redact that. So when you were saying, because you just said you like, you sorry, you just said you liked um, ones that are at six or seven. Then you're talking about how much oh, you liked Terra okay. I thought you were saying it was higher. No, no. I would, I would agree. It's actually, I would say it's around probably a five yeah. or four. I think a good level player interaction is something like eight. I say Blood Rage is probably around a six or seven. seven. Root is probably at an eight. And much more play interaction above Root that isn't light. I'd put Root at a nine. uh, Yeah. So, but when you get much, when you start getting higher than that player interaction for me, if it's like a two, three hour game, it's like, I feel like that's just way too much play interaction just for like, it starts getting into chaos, I feel like. Yeah. Um, where do we put? Let's get our gold standard out here. Where do we put Catan? Where would you put a Catan on that scale? Um, I, <laughs> I think Catan has just crazy randomness in it, even maybe more than player interaction. Um, but the player interaction isn't necessarily bad because you're always trading. So yeah, you're getting trading. something. Getting I'd so it's not like, a f- it's not necessarily they, there's the robber. Yeah. Um, but most of the player action is. Uh, just trading. So, where would you put it? Honestly, I like the player interaction. 
Yeah. So Katan, maybe would, a four or five. So okay. right there. I'd put it at slightly like a four. A, slightly less than the midline. Yeah. Um, I think right perfect is when you get some Euros like um, Great Western Trail. Uh, you calling that, that a five? I'll call that a five. Yeah. For I player interaction. Yeah. Um, because you're you're manipulating the state of the board that other people have to go through. You're competing for stuff, but you're never really... Although there are tax buildings where you're taking money away from people, there's ways around it, but you're competing for spots with kind of player interaction. Obviously, I still think the best player interaction is worker placement. Player interaction that makes yeah. you prioritize and value uh, what you want to do first. Um, and then if you don't do that correctly, someone gets there in first. But player interaction that um, obviously is punitive and no one gets anything out of it isn't, I don't, and some people love it, just craziness. Um, people, yeah, I would put like almost all worker placements depending at like a three or a four, maybe a five if there's like attacking worker place, or maybe something like um, uh, Dune Imperium, maybe it's like a, a little five or a six or something like that because there's like more attacking, yeah. Um, but you really, I think this guy last night, our game of Inish though. Kind of broke your mind, though, Brady. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever fully recover from that. <laughs> um, but I would say, like, in my mind after that, and maybe uh, and there's been argument amongst, um, amongst the group of whether or not this is, like, an Inish thing or an our group thing. I tend know, to lean much... toward this is our group. Yeah. Um, I think this is more of our group than the game because uh, the general premise with Inish is that you everyone is a Celtic clan of faction, and there's three different win conditions. Um, you have to be on six different sections of the map. Um, you have to, um, you consider controlling a region if you have more people in there than anyone else. So one win condition is that you are quote unquote controlling six other units on the board. That just means that you are in a region where you're stronger than they are and they're kind of, you're controlling them. Or the other win condition is that you have people in regions where there are collectively six sanctuaries, which are little buildings you put out on the board. Yeah. Um, but the thing about Inish, there's no victory points scoring or yeah. anything like so that. It's one of my favorite, and I say that with the most sarcasm I possibly can, uh, mechanisms, which is like the hard victory condition. It's the same one as Root. You know, if you let me do this, I win. And that is, ugh, I cannot say Well, the that. thing different with Root is that you are scoring. You have to do a lot of stuff before you kind of get into that end yeah. game. And so the interesting thing about um, Inish and the reason why I would put Inish at a 10 like the the highest possible player interaction is because the victory conditions are so easy to meet so in the game last night we got to a point where all four players were essentially tied for the victory and the only reason why I wasn't tied for the victory was because I had the brand which is like sort of like the captain of the table and if the brand ever gets a victory condition, they break the tie and automatically win. So no one was willing to allow me um, to, to get it, which is understandable. You tie. Yeah. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is that, like, if you want a victory condition, it's right there for the taking. Like, it doesn't really take much to get one. And so I think from that is where, because I was kind of comparing it in my mind to Lords of Hellas. Um, which also yeah. has three different victory conditions, but those are significantly more difficult to accomplish. Um, and so if you prevent someone from taking a victory condition in Lords of Hellas, 
there isn't like four people standing in line behind that person also with victory conditions. And so I think in Inish, it is significantly more um, like, you know, who you want to win. Um, and in my mind, I think the way I've boiled it down is you win Inish by either one of two ways, um, by either um, getting other people to let you win and sort of like getting winning this like popularity contest slash diplomatic argument um or if all the players happen to be devoid of all human emotion and detach themselves and are going for the win the person who wins is the person last in line to win so once all the players have exhausted all of their ability to stop other people from winning the person who won is that last person and that is somewhat strategic but also very random as you are like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a shot and hope nobody has anything to win. And if I don't, then the person behind me is going to win. Um, and so to me, that player interaction is, is too much. And I have gotten to the point where either I don't want to play the game or I'll play the game. I'm just not going to try to win. Like, cause it's a basically the flip of a coin or the roll of it. Yeah. I, I think there definitely is some strategy in there. Um, because one thing that you can try to go for that makes an win condition easier are these deeds. And usually you gain deeds by doing things that don't help you early on in the game. So you're sacrificing some, getting more clans on the board, putting stuff down by giving up cards or doing something like that to where it's necessarily not overtly beneficial to get a deed. What a deed does is each deed you do reduces the number you need for win condition. So instead of being in six territories, if I have a deed, I only need to be in five territories. And that is the same across all the board for any other win condition I'm going on. If you gain two or three, it makes it a whole lot easier, which is what I was going after and what a couple of the other players were doing. But it does have that feeling that is clearly if one person has the win condition, then they just win at that end of the round. And so it, it starts to feel like you are passing the baton of win condition. Oh, absolutely. And whoever has it, then everyone else focus on it. And then usually by removing some person with a win condition, removing them from that state allows someone else to get in that win condition. And we got to a point the other night to where we all four were tied. And it, it was a point to where unless some crazy stuff happened, which ended up doing, no one was going to overtly win because if I – when after David, who was tied with me, I was likely going to take both of us out of being tied. And this is what's so funny. So it is either losing or tying for win yeah. condition. And, and our last game, too, we spent almost like an hour, the game before, last time we played Inish, completely like one person would, would yeah. I'm, I have win condition, I'm going after, we all go after them, and then someone else would go probably. And so we'd go, I don't, but the thing is. We did play with the expansion seasons of Inish, which um, I think just gave, um, like a harder uh, end condition because it's like if as soon as somebody two people are tied, the next yeah. round will be the last the round, last round. Uh, whether they're tied help. or you're winning. That helped the the length of the game. It did nothing to help the that negative in my mind player interaction mm -hmm. of like beating down the leader and all that kind of stuff. Because and I think what's so funny is we got to this point in the end where I was the only loser. So we were playing with five. Everybody else was tied for the victory. Um, but apparently the shared victory amongst four is not good enough. And I was, I got to the point where I was fine with it being the only loser. That almost felt like more of an accomplishment than tying with four winners. Um, and 
And then, but David went and attacked you to try to kick you out of the winter club. And I, I was both of us out. Well, no, I, I, I said, David, if you act that selfishly to try to kick someone else out of winning for no other reason, well, tied, we had a four way tie. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to come after you. And that's what he did. So he kicked you out of winning. I kicked him out of winning. Um, Steven, after hearing that, um, from his end or from our end, essentially said, well, now I want Jacob to win. So he propped Jacob up for the victory. Um, we unknowingly, he was trying to scheme, uh, like Steven usually does so well. Um, to, to he was set, actually trying to put himself in a winning position. With Jacob. Um, and I was not going to have any of that. And so ultimately, I, I played the, the Geist card to block Steven from tying with Jacob. And we ended up just giving... Jacob the victory. And so we went from having four people to complete disarray and only having one winner. And I got to decide the winner. So I feel somewhat accomplished yeah. in that. So, but so yeah. when we, we, so I think the, the discussion has come, is it, is it a player versus the game? And I don't think any mechanics are broken in the game. I don't think there are any cars that are woefully unbalanced. You're drafting uh, your essentially the four cards that you draft are your four actions that you get to do in the round. I think all that's really good. I think the win conditions are very straightforward. I think they're, if you enjoy player interaction and how you're manipulating the game state, it's really good. I think with our group is that um, maybe because we like a lot of Euro games, we're really analytical and strategizing every min max that we can do for it. Because um, like you said, when one person gets the baton says I'm in a winning state, we're just not going to let that happen. Yeah. And so we go after that. And the thing is, you can go from being in a winning state to completely out of the game completely. Because like your progress isn't just like like saved. You're getting victory points. Your progress, people may come against you like in route, but you still got all your victory points. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, and, yeah. and in um, Inish, there's no Inish, points. You, you can get stuck in a situation where you can theoretically get all of your pieces wiped off the map if people put you in a bad spot and they do a clash. Um, and so it just feels like that baton is constantly being passed just passed to the next person. Yeah. And so, and so the question is theoretically is like, when does that end? Yeah. And it so ends, yeah, it, it ends when so that, the two the ways is when person. people either someone just makes a mistake and you're on the better end of that mistake and they're not catching what you're doing. Um, two is that, cause there's a mechanic in the game to where a lot of games, when you pass, you're done for the round, but in an issue pass, you still get to keep going as long as not everyone else passed. The round only ends when everyone has passed in a uh, complete cycle. I so, actually don't like that as much. I um, I wish that if you passed, you were done for the round. I think that would both cut down significantly on the time and also make it significantly more yeah. strategic. I, I, basically, I like what I did last night was I had I was just holding onto the guys card and just waiting for someone to make a move. And then as soon as they made that move, I was just going to slap them down. And yeah. so I had this ultimate Trump card because I could just indefinitely. Yeah. Pass. I think the interesting part is that one, it does make the round longer, but it does add a little bit of attention because what Steven was doing a lot, which is, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. It's like having cards left when everyone else doesn't push you in advantage to kind of do what you want. Same kind of way. When we look at it, when we play blood rage, you try to hold out as long as you can. So you're the one who can do the most actions, but the risk you run is that if Steven's holding three cards in his hand, he passes, then he's going to get back to him. Some other people play cards, but if everyone else passes, that's the end of the round, and he has those three cards that he never used. So there is that risk that you're putting on there, and if all the other players wanted to, they could just pass so that one player didn't get to keep holding yeah. off, holding off. I think that is interesting. 
yeah. um, with it because the other play, it gives other players a little more power and influence on whether or not you can do anything at yeah. all. And so with do we won't talk about Ennis for too much longer because it is on the higher end of the spectrum. But when it comes to like, um, and I will say this is when it comes to like player problem versus like the game problem. It's like clearly these games, you know, give enough freedom to allow players to break the game, you know, easier and swifter. Um, but, and, and there are players who like, no matter what will always try to win. So even if they get decimated and their chances of winning are like literally 1%, they will do what they can in the game to quote, try to win. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not that player. If I, if my chances of winning go to, you know, below 25% and other people have like 80%, I am just going to try to decimate the player that hurt me. So like if you eliminated my chances of winning, I am just going to turn around and eliminate your chance of winning, which is probably yeah. wrong. But to me, that is more fun than like just trying to win when I have essentially zero chance of winning. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe with our group is just the amount of fluidity in the win condition state. Because like I said, you could go from, um, being in a position to win, to absolutely decimate it off the board. And that is constantly in flux. Like you don't ever get some level of victory points. Cause I think a game also by Matago is probably maybe part of their uh, Cyclades kind of trilogy and everything is Kemet, uh, where it's very similar. You can go around on the board. Everyone is very easily interacting with everyone. If someone gets a little bit of a lead, you can uh, attack them. And there's definitely focus, but just like Ennis, you can very easily get your units back on the board. Um, I think where maybe a game like that for our group may be a little bit better. Not that Kim Ed, I think, is the best game ever, but it has two different types of victory points. It has permanent victory points that you win for doing battles and stuff like that. And then it has temporary victory points by holding different obelisk or locations or by holding different so pyramids. Sort of like Catan with like the longest road or something. Yeah, like so that. it has yeah. points that you earn that can't be taken away from you, but there's also victory points that are influx that can rotate between players and so even if someone really goes after you and they take some of those temporary victory points that you were holding you still have your permanent progress victory points that you hold on to so you're still right there so you can get to a point to where you're just not completely removed from the game you're still in it and still going for it and there is a hard point where it's eight or nine points or eight to eight to ten points whatever kind of game you're playing where then you are the winner at the end of that round um, and I think with us, we just get, we're really competitive with it and we're just going to map out everything we can do, um, to kind of stop that person with a baton saying I, I can win now. Yeah. And then I think the thing is, that's not so bad is that you, at least your progress can go from a hundred to zero. Yeah. And if you like that type of game, more power to you. That is not me. I swing. But I don't think the game is broken or the game is necessarily bad. I think it does some really interesting things. It's just... And I, I'm on the camp of it's the way we play it, and we're just if you're a lot more casual group, um, which I don't think Inish is a casual game just because no. of the cards and, and the what, way that things was interact. Part of my my argument is if it's not for like competitive people, who is it for? Like, is it for people polite enough to just go, oh, well, you're getting close to victory, I'll just let you have it. Is it for those people? I don't think I don't know, because I've yeah. some people in reviews, it's kind of like, because you do, when you move into a, a section, you can choose to either do battle or you can have peace. Um, and so, you know, one reviewer says a lot of it is choosing to have peace. So, like, I'm in a better state, but you're also in a better state. 
Um, but then it can kind of come down to who has that yeah. better card at the very end. Then you end up in a four-way tie with trying to figure out who you're going to kick out of the winner club. Okay, so I'm going to go, we'll end that discussion there. I'm going to go to a couple of games that I think are just like right in my wheelhouse for but Real quick, before we do that, do you, you think it's more of a us though versus the game? Like when you really sit down and think about it, like the way the mechanics are, the drafting, you're moving, you're interacting and stuff like that. Do you think it's the game or us? Because I can see, I, I mean, I love, a, some people, people, a lot of people love this game. Yeah, I think it's 100% uh, a combination of both. 100% wow. a combination of both. So, like, obviously, like, if you if you say it's 100% our group's problem, then we wouldn't be able to enjoy any game. Like, we would be overly competitive with every game. That's true. So, I think the games allow for players to break the game more um, than other games do. Because, like, Cause if we... I go on a tirade in Inish, I can ruin someone's day. If I go on a tirade on Lorenzo... I'm kind of messing up my own Because, I mean, we know? played a game highly interactive right after it haunts up. You are literally displacing people and kicking them now, out. Now, we'll go back. Highly interactive, I don't think so. So I would put Hansa at maybe a six. And that's because... Oh, it's not as much, but... Yeah, yeah. And that and I, I like... So Hansa's probably one of them in my wheelhouse where I you can, you can block people and you can never really, like... You're never stealing points. You're never stealing that baton, like we said... Um, and it, it is a point-based game, not a, like a hard win condition. Um, but, uh, and, and you realize in Hansa that you, you are going to get blocked. And if you get blocked too hard, you can just move. Um, and if you get blocked, you know, just enough, then you kind of help out the other player. Um, but you're also getting the benefit of whatever you're trying to go for. And so to me, Hansa is an example of a game that strikes that balance well and is like, is perfect in that warehouse. Another one that I would consider a five is Blue Lagoon. Um, yeah, we were talking about that though with Blue Lagoon and even Babylonia. Those the two of the I will the, say the, the great doctor. Ryan there's Kinesia. this caveat with Blue Lagoon, and I think where this game would break. Um, the game plays very fast. On your turn, you're just playing down one piece, and I I really enjoy it because you're playing down one piece, and so much is happening on the board that I, you have a hard time keeping up with what's going on with your pieces. And it's really hard to keep up with what's going on with other people. And you're trying to accomplish your goals so much so to where if you try to interfere with somebody else and it's not directly helping you, it's directly hurting you. Um, So if you're directly hurting someone and it's not helping you, then you're hurting yourself. And so um, there's very little um, of that just spiteful um, like moves in that game. Where that could turn is if people talked in the game. And I mean talked about the game. So if you came around, not only would it greatly increase the time of the game, and I, I think would ruin the game, but like let's say I, I place a piece and it gets around to you and you say, oh, hey, David, if we go here, we can block Brady off from this. That would completely turn me off from the game. Um, I, I think if that hap- if you go there and then David happens to go there and it blocks me off without any discussion, I am perfectly okay with that. But when it becomes this like targeted, hey, we can gang up on this player and block him out, that would ruin the game for me. Yeah. Uh, some other games that I really love, their level of play interaction that would be around that five-ish is something like Mombasa. 
um, because not only are there worker placement spots that you're vying for, there's a market that you're trying to essentially deck building and get those cards first. You also are constantly uh, manipulating the influence of these four different companies. Um, and so you're not directly removing other people's pieces. You're just influencing the strength of their scoring at the end of the game. And everyone is constantly interacting yeah. with that, but it never feels bad because you're, you're and helping like other people out. And I Mombasa that you have that like like that detachment from the factions. So like, yeah. I am not the red faction. I might be, you know, for the red faction or backing the red faction, but I am not. So when you attack it, you're not directly attacking me necessarily. So that also kind of helps alleviate the, um, the tension of like, you know, direct interaction and that sort of thing. Yeah. But you also mentioned great Western trail. I would agree. It, Great Western Trail seems to be like on the same level of like a, a worker placement game because you're kind of going to these different spots. Um, but yeah, I would I would agree. Great Western Trail is on like a good level of interaction. Yeah, and like I said, I love play interaction because that's obviously why we're playing games. Yeah. Um, but my my two things where I judge it is because it's doing going after the leader isn't necessarily i mean that's the thing that you do in a lot of games because that's the only way you have a chance of winning and the game not ending right there the two things i look at is one uh how can the person being uh, focused on respond can do they have a, a options in their hand if someone's just laying down this card that's going after you how can you respond uh with it and does it feel meaningful uh with it and is your game just completely like the games where like you go from and I'm really great. I'm really in this to where like I'm completely out of it. I'm decimated because um, even sometimes when we've played games like um, um, Game of Thrones, the board game second edition or TI4, you can go from, man, I really feel like I'm in that. And then if, if things just turn hairy and go the wrong way, you can yeah. be completely yeah, out and of Game it. Game of Thrones is like it's like up there for me. But the last game we played. The last probably two turns, my moves were essentially meaningless. Like I, I was, I had no points on the board. I, I was essentially wiped out. And so, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. That is a tough place to be. Yeah, but I mean, do you enjoy though player interaction? Would you say though? Yeah, and I, I like if you don't want player interaction, you wouldn't play board games. Like you would play against AI on a computer or something else. And and I would actually argue that if you want to play. Um, like det also detach human motion. And like, if you come into a game expecting everyone at the table to like 100% play to win, then or play hundred percent optimally too. optimally. Yeah. Then you shouldn't play with people. Like you should play with computers. And so if you, if you, if you want like human emotion and for someone to go, Oh, well you attacked me, I'm going to attack you right back. Even if it's not the most optimal move, it's like you're playing with people. That's what people are going to do. Um, and so, yeah, if you're, if you want people to play, you know, 100% optimally and to do the best thing they can do to win the game, play with computers. So that's my, that's my stick. I agree. I'm, I agree. I'm and I think there's, there's not very many games that we've kind of run into where we've had some snafus and stuff like, and I still, I don't think, I think it's a good game. I just think maybe it's, it's a like combination of, um, how we're playing it and going into it. And it just, I just feel like it, it's just becomes a, a wild free-for-all um but that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't like interaction in games and i think yeah like you said we wouldn't be playing board games if we didn't like it um so 
Uh, we're kind of going to transition into our kind of closing segment. Uh, we're going to be doing this month um, board game mechanic highlights. Um, so we're going to be highlighting different mechanics that we enjoy, uh, talking about some ways that we enjoy how they're implemented, maybe some ways that they're not, maybe um, ways we hope that they may change and be different in the future. Uh, so what board game mechanic are we highlighting this month, Brady? So this is a good one to highlight for this month because we got in like two very distinct games uh, in this um, category, and that's uh, asymmetry. Yeah. So um, we got in Merchant's Cove and Vast, which are vastly asymmetric games. Got them. Um, but but we've also played um, th- like things like well, not like Blood Rage, I was guess like Rising Sun, which has asymmetric Player. powers yeah. where you're, you know, playing the same game just in slightly different ways. And I would argue, um, yeah, that this is definitely on a scale. So Vast seems to be, you know, on the very end of that scale. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this? You you tend to really like asymmetry. Yeah, I really like asymmetry, both whether it's a cooperative or competitive. Like, I think that the gold standard for cooperative asymmetrical games is Spirit Island. I know you don't like that one as much. Um, And then obviously there's just um, so many games that are competitive that are asymmetric. Um, You know, we talk about stuff, some of these all the time, stuff like Root. Uh, But even stuff that maybe not get it talked about as much is stuff like Gloomhaven. Um, even though you don't have these big player boards, you're essentially your unique player deck makes you asymmetric in everything that you do. So it's not necessarily player powers. Maybe it's asymmetry by the deck that you have or what you're building. Um, but the reason I love asymmetry is that uh, one, it gives, I feel like a lot of replayability to games. And then two, it just gives you a, a unique sense of player agency that is different from everybody else. Um, and if you're playing cooperative games where like Spirit Iron, where it's really good is that you have to learn each other. It's not like, okay, we just learned the game spirit island, but we have to learn each other, how to interact with each other. And it actually forces you to focus on the players more than the game. Uh, Sometimes not necessarily, but when we're playing root, uh, we know the game state, we know the board, but we're focusing on what is unique about you. What is unique about me? How can I learn how to optimize that even uh, better? Um, I, yeah. And Steven always says this uh, in, and root where the in root it's it's all about ramping up and so you have to know the game and each of the factions well enough to know when they're about to ramp when they up. hit that break point yeah when they hit that break point because yeah. once they get past that it's very difficult to like stop them so and it feels bad too because um you know like as a faction you're like oh man i'm 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 right there i'm just about to get my engine going and then somebody smacks you down and they you know optimally should it just feels bad for yeah. that player and then the the amount of asymmetry really uh ranges because you have a game like merchant's Co, which i think is on the kind of the bare bones of uniquely asymmetric to where like you're doing something completely different uh from other characters when you have other stuff like vast um i think that's a different way of asymmetry where you, your focus is kind of in a path like a food chain of how you're you're scoring points um, but I still really appreciate asymmetry and maybe it's player powers. I think that's an easier uh, point of entry is unique player powers that you can then build upon. I'm really looking forward uh, when Ankh, Gods of Egypt, gets here because that's its whole stick. Everyone is a different Egyptian god. So you're not necessarily asymmetric. You have an asymmetric player power, but then you have a god board that you can have kind of like a tech tree on. So you're gaining yeah. god powers that is unique every game and unique to you. So I like kind of custom customizable 
asymmetry to where you have a base, but then you can kind of develop it with cards or how you're moving up stats on your track. Um, yeah. But I, I also, too, I love the challenge of learning new things all the time. Yeah. And so I feel like asymmetry is, is a constant challenge that you're putting think, your mind towards. I think the biggest hurdles that asymmetry has in games um, is, and the really this is the reason why like games like Vast and Root will probably never make their way into my collection at least, is um, like accessibility. So it is incredibly hard to bring new people even into simple that ones game. yeah even like merchants cove we are we're big boy gamers and that i mean it took us we were all just sitting around the table just reading our own little rule books for like 20 minutes and and that is a simple game from like just a gameplay for, um, standpoint um the other thing is um shoot i forgot what it was uh, oh, balance um, is balance. And so like the more, you know, asymmetric you get, the more you have to deal with like, is this game perfectly balanced? And um, that's alleviated a little bit with some of these more diplomatic games like Root, where the players can somewhat balance, uh, you know, the, the games or whatever. Um, but in a game like, I'm thinking of like Marco Polo, um, where there isn't as much player interaction um, and they do have like those wildly powerful asymmetric powers um you really do run into balance and i think um and it's hard to gauge that like i think when we've as we've played marco polo uh two uh, i should say the like i felt the um like one of the powers is a little bit better than the other ones um and it's definitely like and everyone kind of goes for that one too like if, if they had the choice they would choose that yeah. one and to me that says it's a little bit too powerful. And um, and so what we've done with that to help balance it is we bid for them. So we bid for- Victory points. Yeah. And, Negative and starting that, victory I points. I think that helps a lot. Yeah. That, uh, we've talked about it on here before, but Lorenzo starting off with their player powers um, and you you bid for them. Oh my gosh, more games need to do this. I've, I've, I've like jokingly said before, hey, let's just bust out Lorenzo. Let's bid for the player powers and then we can just put the game up. I just want to do that. And because <laughs> it's so fun. It's not all, it's not, you're it's, not going to win the game necessarily right there, but it, it's an important part. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it just, it just balances it. Like it just makes those powers not have to be perfectly balanced. Um, and it comes out and, and basically says, hey, these aren't perfectly balanced. Um, and you kind of have to decide how, you know, which ones are stronger and stuff. And I, I love that. I would so much rather, um, and like, I, I like tapestry, but like, even I can admit that those powers are grossly imbalanced. I have no idea how, how those, like how made through play testing, they made it through play testing and then they can come out and say, Hey, we, we think these powers are balanced because they are just, they're they're not even close. And so if they came out with um, like, you know, a bidding system, that would have been, that would have been so much better. Yeah. And there's also, you know, like a lot of two player games that are asymmetric in their cards and stuff, well, the stuff that we enjoy, like Lord of the Rings Confrontation, even War of the Ring. Um, I would say those very, those asymmetric um, powers and abilities uh, that you can use. Uh, so a lot of two player games have really good implementations of asymmetry. Um, that you can use that with some yeah. other, you have Watergate. some other games, Watergate. Yeah. yeah that's I the one Brady Watergate. is always and I, 
Always can't about. tell. I've been I've been playing Nixon more on Watergate, and this is one that I am just loving more and more. Um, the only thing that I can think of is that in Watergate specifically, Nixon has two win conditions, and the press only has one. And to me, if I can think of like which one is slightly stronger, I would say Nixon simply because of that reason. Um, because he can wait out the end of the game. And if you don't know what that it is, um, Nixon's trying to either get five of those little red momentum tokens, or if if the game gets to a point where there are no more momentum tokens to place on the board, then Nixon just wins. And so Nixon can either try to win or just try to make the game go as long as possible. And, um, And so for that reason, I would probably give the edge slightly to Nixon in that game. So would you say symmetric is one of your favorite mechanics in a game? Like for me, uh, if I see anything on Kickstarter, a new game coming out, I see the word asymmetric, it automatically grabs my attention. Yeah. I will say um, if it like if it um, is like vastly asymmetric, so uh, like, like root or vast, that almost turns me off to it because I just dread mm-hmm. that learning. I Like even with vast, I was like, I, I don't want to learn this. Um, but I will say if an expansion comes out and I'm thinking of something like Zulkin, where they give you asymmetric powers, that gets me excited. Cause I'm like, Ooh, um, cause we're all playing the same game, which they do, we're doing which the they same do. puzzle. Yeah. Um, but it helps you. Usually they help you just lean into a certain strategy a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I like, and it sort of gives you something a little bit, uh, a little bit special. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a, it's really good. It's still not my favorite, yeah, favorite favorite just, mechanic in in games, but it's 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 the one that's up there. Yeah, uh, because it usually lends itself to unique games or game styles. Yeah, uh, that's one that we've talked about core really all the time. Uh, and we've got Oath uh, coming out, and from what we're hearing, this is a this is a doozy of a game that is just unlike anything you've played before. I will say, from a sense of like accomplishment. So Root is a little better at this because you, those really are essentially like asymmetric player powers. You're just on the very extreme and you're playing the same game. So with something like Vast, um, and I, I won the game of Vast, but it didn't feel, um, I didn't feel accomplished because we're doing something so completely different that I can't like look at my victory and say, I did this better than you. Yeah, because I was just, close to my win condition with yeah, killing the knight. I know, and it's so, it's... It's like, I can't say, oh, I did this game better than you. It's just, I did what I did. Um, and I met my victory condition. And the way first. everything played so, together, I was on, ended up on top. Yeah. And Man. so I can't necessarily like, it, yeah, I think for me, there's like a lack of, of a sense of accomplishment there where I, um, I, I can't just like look and be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, in this game of, of Marco Polo, I was able to get more resources and I feel like I accomplished and, and really earned the victory. With that, I just feel like, I don't know, I, I just did what the faction wanted me to yep. faster than you did or whatever. Very good. So that's Asymmetry. Uh, let us know what you think about Asymmetry games. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Some people yeah. could care less about it. And if you want to hear about like a certain other mechanic and what we think about it, um, there obviously we love all of these things like drafting and all of that stuff. So if you want to hear about a certain 
mechanic, then reach out to us. Um, Matthew, do you want to tell them how they can reach out to us? Yeah. Uh, well, but right before we get to that, um, one thing I want to talk about, I meant to talk about at the beginning of the episode, is a new game on Kickstarter that is oh. taking <laughs> the, world the world by Matthew, storm. You've been, you've been telling everyone about this. Multiple times a day, every how day. Much, how much are they paying you? Um, nothing. So that just tells you how excited I am for this <laughs> game. Uh, it's The Witcher Old World. Um, I enjoy, really enjoy the world of The Witcher. I've played um, some of the video games. I've watched the series. I haven't read any of the books, so I guess I can't call myself a true fan of it. Uh, but there's a, a board game on Kickstarter right now called The Witcher Old World. And why it's getting me so excited for it is because I and when we played um, Mage Knight, I say we played Mage Knight, we played a day of Mage Knight. I really enjoyed it. The sense of you going around the world, interacting with different towns, villages, leveling up your character, finding monsters, but it is a long game and not recommended to play with more than maybe two people. Whereas The Witcher is a game that you play one to five and it's like an hour and a half, two hour game. And the whole concept is you as your Witcher, you're leveling up, you're traveling to different locations on the board, towns that give you abilities and actions. But the main mechanic is uh, deck building with multi-use cards. And so the cards not only allow you to travel to different locations, um, level up your character, um, but they also are used for combat. And what are you fighting in The Witcher? Monsters. And Matthew, what what do those monsters look like in The Witcher? Are they like little discs? Like, oh. uh, you know, that just kind of sit on the board and they... Au contraire, good sir. These <laughs> are next level miniatures that are just the coolest thing. Some juicy um, plastic. But the, the the combat is, it's, it's card-based combat where your deck of cards is also, that you're fighting with is also your health. So if you use more powerful attacks, you also have left cards in your hands to take damage with. So it's a really cool balance, but so it also has... Like, uh, Gloomhaven and Inish. Yeah, but it well. also has the chaining mechanic found in... Um, oh, why is this slipping my mind? What was that? Um, you can do this. It's the Age of Avalon. Um, it's the same people... It's, uh, it's um, same people who did Nemesis... Um, Awaken Realms game, Lords of Hellas. No, it they not Lords of Hellas is the other one. They did Tainted Grail. Tainted Grail. So Tainted Grail's combat uh, mechanic was you play a card, uh, but to keep your attack going, you had to chain the symbols and icons on the cards together. So the whole concept in this game is building these decks that not only allow you to move and travel around the world, but to do chained and powerful combat against monsters. But you don't just going and attacking a monster you have to learn where this monster is. And so you have to go on a trail. So you're going to different parts of the world to pick up clues on this monster. And once you gain all the clues, you can go and fight it. Um, but it also has like this event system similar to, um, um, uh, what's the what's the zombie game? Zombicide? Dead of Winter. Oh. Dead of Winter. Uh, in Dead of Winter, you can trigger these encounters to where you have a little short little snippet scenario on a card and then you have an option A or B. And you get a reward or a penalty. It has that in the game too. Oh. So that whole encounter system. I, I like quickly scrolled through the Kickstarter page for this, and I was like, "Oh, okay." But I didn't watch any of the videos. But from what you're describing, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So there's different ways you can play it. You can also try to you can attack other witchers and get you're getting trophies whenever you attack these monsters, or maybe you can attack other witchers. You get trophies. There's also uh, an expansion where you can play cooperative. The Wild Hunt, where is this great force coming in? But what I get excited for is it's it's relatively straightforward and simple to learn and teach. Uh, it's like a quick fantasy monster fighting game, deck building, or interesting combat 
mechanism in it. But sadly with Mage Knight, it just takes way too long to do it. And you just got all that leveling up. It's got really cool miniatures in it. And it can play up to five people. Um, and so one of the things that some reviewers who got early copies were a little concerned with it is that maybe the cards weren't that interesting, but one of the expansions that they're putting into it and adding more on the Kickstarter is like combat cards that also has a little text on it that gives you a little special abilities, but it's not like a crazy, this crazy mm -hmm. stuff that we see in other games. So I'm excited for it because at the very beginning of the year, like one of our New Year's resolutions was like design a board game. And I kind of explained a, a game where you're kind of going around and leveling up your, your character and stuff like that. I don't have to design that game anymore, Brady, <laughs> because right we have uh, Witcher of the Old World that I think is just scratching that little fantasy role-playing itch, but competitive it's not Euro style. competitive Euro style, and it's not going to outstay its welcome. An hour and a half to two hours, you can play up to five people, and it's got minis. Um, so I'm excited about it. Um, did you have any other things on the horizon, any games that you've seen kind of released or teased or anything like that? Mm, nope. I think I, I get all my juicy news from you and David. So yeah, I David don't... and I keep our ear to the ground <laughs> looking for it. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll keep you updated. Um, obviously, I have no idea when this... Uh, let me look here. It's only it, raised like $3 million. It's so, right on the edge of yeah. $4 million. Matthew's almost 31,000 people. Because they need the money. Yeah. Uh, well, let me see. It's supposed to be here June of next year. So... Which means it's going to be three years yeah, from now. I'll, I'll see you when I believe it. Yeah, it may no. get here before <laughs> uh, Oathsworn. It's it could be, it could happen. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode. Um, as always, I'm Matthew, and I'm Brady, and this has been the, the discussion, discussion phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the discussion phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes dropping. Uh, if you'd like to get in on the discussion, you can email us at the discussion phase at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram for board game reviews and content that we put on there. Thanks everybody. <laughs>